0: CD 5 Susan walked back to the alley where she'd left Binky. There were half a dozen men lying around on the cobbles, clutching parts of themselves and moaning. Susan ignored them. Anyone trying to steal Death's horse soon understood the expression, A World of Hurts. Binky had a good aim. It would be a very small, very private world. The music was playing him, not the other way round, she said. You could see. I'm not sure his fingers even touched the strings. Squeak. Susan rubbed her hand. Satchelmouth had turned out to have quite a hard head. Can I kill it without killing him? Squeak. Not a hope, the raven translated. It's all that's keeping him alive. But Grandad, but he, he said it'll end up killing him anyway. "'It's a big, wide, wonderful universe, all right,' said the raven. "'Squeak!' "'But look, if it's a, a parasite or something like that,' said Susan, "'as Binky trotted skywards, "'what's the good of it killing its host?' "'Squeak!' And "'He says, "'You've got him there,' said the raven. "Drop me off over quirm, will you?' "'What does it want him for?' said Susan. "'It's using him, but what for?' Twenty-seven dollars, said Ridcully. Twenty-seven dollars to get you out, and the sergeant kept grinning all the time. Wizards arrested. He walked along the row of crestfallen figures. I mean, how often does the watch get called in to the drum, said Ridcully. I mean, what did you think you were doing? Mumble, 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 said the dean, looking at the floor. I'm sorry? Mumble, 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 dancing, mumble, mumble, mumble. "'Dancing,' said Redcully levelly, walking back along the row. "'That's dancing, is it? "'Banging into people, throwing one another over your shoulders, "'twirling around all over the place. "'Not even trolls act like that. "'Not that I've got anything against trolls, mind you. Marvelous people, marvellous people. "'And you're supposed to be wizards. "'People are supposed to look up to you, "'and that's not because you're somersaulting over their heads.' Runes, don't think I didn't notice that little display. I was frankly disgusted. The poor bursar has had to have a lie down. Dancing is round in circles, don't you know? Maypoles and such like, healthy reels, perhaps a little light ballroom. Not swinging people round like a dwarf with a battle-axe. Mind you, uh, salt of the earth dwarfs, I've always said so. Do I make myself clear? Mumble, 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 everyone was doing it, mumble, mumble, said the dean, still looking at the floor. I never thought I'd say this to any wizard over the age of eighteen, but you're all gated until further notice, shouted Ridcully. Being confined to the campus was not much of a punishment. The wizards usually distrusted any air that hadn't hung around indoors for a while, and mostly lived in a kind of groove between their rooms at the dining table but they were feeling strange. "'Mumble, mumble, mumble, don't see why, mumble, mumble,' mumbled the dean. He said, much later on, on the day when the music died, that it must have been because he'd never been really young, or at least young while just being old enough to know he was young. Like most wizards, he'd begun his training while still so small that the official pointy hat came down over his ears. And after that, he'd just been, well, a wizard.' "'He had the feeling once again that he'd missed out on something somewhere. "'He'd never really realised it until the last couple of days. "'He didn't know what it was. "'He just wanted to do things. "'He didn't know what they were, but he wanted to do them soon. "'He wanted... "'He felt like a lifelong tundra dweller "'when he wakes up one morning with a deep urge to go water skiing. "'He certainly wasn't going to stay indoors when there was music in the air. "'Mumble, mumble, mumble, mumble. "'Not going to stay indoors, mumble, mumble.' Unaccustomed feelings surged through him. He wanted to disobey, disobey everything, including the law of gravity. He was definitely not going to fold his clothes before going to bed. Ridcully was going to say, ''Oh, you're a rebel, are you? What are you rebelling against?'' And he'd say, he'd say something pretty damn memorable, that's what he'd do. He was... But the Arch-Chancellor had stalked off. ''Mumble, mumble, mumble,'' said the Dean defiantly, a rebel without a pause. There was a knock at the door, barely audible above the din. Cliff opened it a cautious fraction. ''It's me, Hibiscus. Here's your beers. Drink up and get out.'' ''How can we get out?'' said Glod. ''Every time they see us, they force us to play some more.'' Hibiscus shrugged. ''I don't care,'' he said. ''But you owe me a dollar for the beer and twenty-five dollars for the broken furniture.'' Cliff shut the door. ''I could negotiate with him,'' said Claude. ''No, we can't afford it,'' said Buddy. They looked at one another. "'Well, the crowd loved us,' said Buddy. "'I think we were a big success. Um... "'In the silence, Cliff bit the end off a beer bottle "'and poured the contents over his head. "'Troll beer is ammonium sulphide dissolved in alcohol "'and tastes like drinking fermented batteries.' "'What we all want to know is,' said Glod, "'what you thought you were doing out there. "'Ooh!' "'And how come,' said Cliff, crunching up the rest of the bottle, "'we all knew what to play?' "'Oh!' "'And also,' said Glod, "'what you were singing.' "'Er... Uh, "'Don't tread on my new blue boots,' said Cliff. "Ooh, "'Good gracious, Miss Polly,' said Glod. "Um, "'Stow hell it lace,' said Cliff. "Ooh." It's a kind of very fine lace they make in the city of Stow hellet said Glod. Glod gave Buddy a lopsided look. That bit where you said, Hello, baby, he said. Why'd you do that? Er, I mean, it's not as if they even allow small children into the drum. I don't know. The words were just there, said Buddy. They were sort of part of the music. And you were... "'Moving about in a funny way, like you were having trouble with your trousers,' said Glod. "'I'm not the expert on humans, of course, "'but I saw some ladies in the audience looking at you like a dwarf looks at a girl "'when he knows her father's got a big shaft and several rich seams.' "'Yeah,' said Cliff, "'and like when a troll is thinking, "'Hey, will you look at Destrata on that one?' "'You're certain you've got no elvish in you, are you?' said Glod. "'Once or twice I thought you were acting a bit.' elvish. I don't know what's happening, said Buddy. The guitar whined. They looked at it. What we do is, said Cliff, we take that and we throw it in the river. All those in favour say aye, or ooh, as the case may be. There was another silence. No one rushed to pick up the instrument. But the thing is, said God. the thing is, they did love us out there. They thought about this. "'It didn't actually feel bad,' said Buddy. "'Got to admit, I never had an audience like that in my whole life,' said Cliff. "'Ooh, ooh, ooh!' "'If we're so good,' said Glod, "'why aren't we rich?' "'Cause you do the negotiating,' said Cliff. "'If we've got to pay for the furniture, "'I'm soon going to have to eat my dinner through a straw.'" "'You sang, I'm no good?' "'said Glod, getting angrily to his feet. "'You blow good horn, but you ain't no financial wizard. "'Heh, I'd just like to see.' "'There was a knock on the door. "'Cliff sighed. "'That'll be hibiscus again,' he said. "'Pass me that mirror. "'I'll try to hit one out on the other side.' "'Buddy opened the door. "'Hibiscus was there, but behind a smaller man, "'wearing a long coat and a wide, friendly grin. "'Ah,' said the grin. "'You'd be Buddy, right?' Uh, yes, and then the man was inside without actually appearing to have moved and kicking the door shut in the landlord's face Dibbler's the name <laughs> the grin went on C.M.O.T. Dibbler mm. I dare say you've heard of me. Oh, I ain't talking to you. I'm talking to you other guys No, said buddy. I don't think we have the grin appeared to widen I hear you boys are in a bit of trouble said Dibbler, broken furniture and whatnot. "'We're not even going to get peed,' said Cliff, glaring at Glod. "'Well, now,' said Dibbler, "'it could just be that I could help you there. "'I'm a businessman. I do business. "'I can see you boys are musicians. You play music. "'You don't want to worry your heads about money stuff, right? "'Gets in the way of the creative processes, am I right?' How about if you leave that to me? Hmm, said Glod, still smarting from the insult to his financial acumen. And what can you do? Well, said Dibbler, I can get you paid for tonight for a start. What about the furniture? said Buddy. Oh, stuff gets busted here every night, said Dibbler expansively. Ibiscus was just having you on. I'll square it with him. Confidentially, you want to watch out for people like him. He leaned forward. If his grin had been any wider, the top of his head would have fallen off. This city, boys, he said, is a jungle. If he can get us paid, I'll trust him, said Glod. As simple as that, said Cliff. I'll trust anyone who gives me money. Buddy glanced at the table. He didn't know why, but he had a feeling that if something was wrong, the guitar would do something, play a discord, maybe. But it just purred gently to itself. ''Oh, all right. If it means I get to keep my teeth, I'm all for it,'' said Cliff. ''Okay,'' said Buddy. ''Great, great. (laughs) We can make uh, beautiful music together. (laughs) At least you boys can, eh?'' He pulled out a sheet of paper and a pencil. In Dibbler's eyes, the lion roared. Somewhere high in the ram tops, Susan rode Binky over a cloud bank. How could he talk like that, she said, play around with people's lives, and then talk about duty? All the lights were on in the Musician's Guild. A gin bottle played a tattoo on the edge of a glass. Then it rattled briefly on the desktop as Satchelmouth put it down. Doesn't anyone know who the hells they are? Mr. Cleet said as Satchelmouth managed to grip the glass on the second try. Someone must know who they are. "'Dunno about the boy,' said Satchelmouth. "'No one's ever seen him before. "'And, uh, well, you you know trolls. "'Could have been anyone.' "'One of them was definitely the librarian from the university,' "'said Herbert, Mr. Harpsichord Shuffle, the Guild's own librarian. "'We can leave him for now,' said Cleet. "'The others nodded. "'No one really wanted to attempt to beat up the librarian "'if there was anyone smaller available. "'What about the dwarf?' "'Ah.' Oh. Someone said they thought he was Glod Glodson, lives in Phaedra Road somewhere. Cleet growled. Get some of the lads over there right now. I want the position of musicians in this city explained to them right now. <laughs> the musicians hurried through the night, the din of the mended drum behind them. Wasn't he nice? said Glod. I mean... We haven't just got our pay, but he was so interested he gave us $20 of his own money. I think what he said, said Cliff, was that he'd give us $20 with interest. Same thing, isn't it? And he said he could get us more jobs. Did you read the contract? Did you? It was very small writing, said Glod. He brightened up. But there was a lot of it, he added. Bound to be a good contract, with that much writing on it. The librarian ran away, said Buddy. Ooked a lot and ran away. Eh, well, he'll be sorry later on, said Glod. Later on, people will talk to him and he'll say, I left, you know, before they became famous. He'll say, Ook, anyway, that piano's going to need some work. Yeah, said Cliff. Like I saw once where this guy made stuff out of matches. He could repair it. A couple of dollars became two lamb cormers and pitch-blend vindaloo at the curry gardens, along with a bottle of wine so chemical that even trolls could drink it. "'And after this,' said Glod, as they sat down to wait for the food, "'we'll find somewhere else to stay.' "'What's wrong with your place?' said Cliff. "'It's too draughty. It's got a piano-shaped hole in the door.' "'Yeah, but you put it there.' "'So what? Won't the landlord object?' Of course he'll object. That's what landlords are for. Anyway, we're on the up and up, lads. I can feel it in my water. I thought you were just happy to get paid, said Buddy. Right, right, but I'm even happier to get paid a lot. The guitar hummed. Buddy picked it up and plucked a string. Glod dropped his knife. That sounded like a piano, he said. I think it can sound like anything, said Buddy and now it knows about pianos. Magic, said Cliff. Of course magic, said God. That's what I keep saying, a strange old thing found in a dusty old shop one stormy night. It wasn't stormy, said Cliff. It's bound to, yes, all right, but it was raining a bit. It's bound to be a bit special. I bet if we was to go back now, the shop wouldn't be there, and that'd prove it. "'Everyone knows things bought from shops which aren't there the next day "'are dead mysterious, and items of fate. "'Fate smiling on us, could be. "'Doing something on us,' said Cliff. "'I hope it's smiling. "'And Mr. Dibbler said he'd find us somewhere really special to play tomorrow. "'Good,' said Buddy. "'We must play.' "'Right,' said Cliff. "'We play all right. It's our job. "'People should hear our music.' Sure, Cliff looked puzzled. Right, of course, that's what we want. And some pay, too. Mr. Dibbler'll help us, said Glod, who was too preoccupied to notice the edge in Buddy's voice. He must be very successful. He's got an office in Sator Square. Only very posh businesses can afford that. A new day dawned. It had hardly finished doing so before Ridcully hurried through the dewy grass of the University Gardens and hammered on the door of the high-energy magic building. Generally, he never went near the place. It wasn't that he didn't understand what it was the young wizards in there were actually doing, but because he strongly suspected that they didn't too. They seemed to positively enjoy becoming less and less certain about everything, and would come into dinner saying things like, "'Wow! We've just overturned Leaf's theory of thaumic imponderability! Amazing!' as if it was something to be proud of, instead of gross discourtesy. And they were always talking about splitting the Thaum, the smallest unit of magic. The Arch-Chancellor couldn't see the point, so you had bits all over the place. What good would that do? The universe was bad enough without people poking it. The door opened. Oh, it's you, Arch-Chancellor. Ridcully pushed the door open further. Uh, Morning, Stibbons. Glad to see you're up and about early. Ponder Stibbons, the faculty's youngest member, blinked at the sky. is it morning already? He said. Ridcully pushed his way past him and into the H.E.M. It was unfamiliar ground for a traditional wizard. There wasn't a skull or dribbly candle to be seen. This particular room looked like an alchemist's laboratory had suffered the inevitable explosion and landed in a blacksmith's shop. Nor did he approve of Stibbons's robe. It was the right length, but a washed-out greeny grey with pockets and toggles and a hood with a bit of rabbit fur around the edge. There weren't any sequins or jewels or mystic symbols anywhere, just a blodgy stain where Stibbon's pen leaked. You ain't been out lately? said Ridcully. No, sir. Um, uh, Should I have been? I've been busy working on my Make It Bigger device. You know, I showed you... Not with very good results, however. Stibbons spent weeks grinding lenses and blowing glassware, and had finally produced a device which showed the tremendous amount of tiny animals there were in one drop of water from the River Ankh. The Arch-Chancellor had taken a look and then remarked that anything in which that much life could exist had to be healthy. "Uh, "'Right, right,' said Ridcully, looking around. "'Anyone else been working in here?' "'Well, th- th- there's me, and Tez the Terrible, <laughs> and Skaz and Big Mad Drongo, I think.' Ridcully blinked. "'What are they?' he said, and then, from the depths of memory, a horrible answer suggested itself. Only a very specific species had names like that. Uh, "'Students?' "'Er, uh, yes,' said Ponder, backing away. "That "'That's all right, isn't it? "'I mean, this is a university.' Ridcully scratched his ear. The man was right, of course. You had to have some of the buggers around. There was no getting away from it. Personally, he avoided them whenever possible, as did the rest of the faculty, occasionally running the other way or hiding behind doors whenever they saw them. The lecturer in recent runes had been known to lock himself in his wardrobe rather than take a tutorial. "Uh, Er, you'd better fetch him, he said. The fact is, I seem to have lost my faculty. For What? "'Arch-Chancellor?' said Ponder politely. "'What?' "'Er, sorry?' They looked at one another in incomprehension, two minds driving opposite ways up a narrow street and waiting for the other man to reverse first. "'The uh, faculty,' said Ridcully, giving up. "'The Dean and what not. Gone totally round the corner. Uh, Been up all night playing... playing... guitars and what not. The Dean's made himself a coat out of leather.' "'Well, leather is a very practical and functional material.' "'Not the way he's using it,' said Ridcully darkly. "'The dean stood back. "'He'd borrowed a dressmaker's dummy from Mrs Whitlow, the housekeeper. "'He'd made some changes to the design that had buzzed round his brain. "'For one thing, a wizard in his very soul is loath to wear any garment "'that doesn't reach down at least to the ankles. "'So there was quite a lot of leather.' lots of room for all the studs. He'd started with Dean. That had hardly begun to fill the space, and after a while he'd added Born to, and left a space because he wasn't quite sure what he'd been born to. Born to eat big dinners wouldn't be appropriate, and after some more bemused thought, he'd gone on to Live fats, Die young. "'It wasn't quite right, he could see. "'He turned the material over when he was making the holes for the studs "'and had sort of lost track of which direction he was going. "'Of course it didn't matter which direction you went, just so long as you went. "'That's what music with rocks in it was all about.' "'And recent runes is in his room playing drums, "'and the rest of them have all got guitars. "'And what the purser's done to the bottom of his robe is, is really strange,' "'said Ridcully.' and the librarians wandering around the place pinching stuff, and no one listens to a word I say. He stared at the students. It was a worrying sight, and not just because of the natural look of students. Here were some people who, while this damn music was making everyone tap their feet, had stayed indoors all night, working. What, what, what are you lot doing in here? he said. You, what's your name? The student wizard, pinned by Ridcully's pointing finger, squirmed anxiously. "'Um, uh, uh, Big Mad Drongo,' he said, twisting the brim of his hat in his hands. "'Big Mad Drongo,' said Ridcully. "'That's your name, is it? "'That's what you've got sewn on your vest?' "'Um, m- no, Arch-Chancellor.' "'It is?' Er uh, Adrian Turnipseed, Arch-Chancellor.' "'So why are you called uh, Big Mad Drongo, Mr Turnipseed?' said Ridcully.' Um, uh. He once drank a whole pint of shandy, said Stibbons, who had the decency to look embarrassed. Rid Cully gave him a carefully blank look. Oh well, they'd have to do. All right, you lot, he said. What do you make of this? He produced from his robe a mended drum beer tankard with a beer mat fastened over the top with a piece of string. What have you got in there, Arch-Chancellor, said Ponder Stibbons. A piece of music, lad. Music? But you can't trap music like that. I wish I was a clever bugger like you and knew every damn thing, said Ridcully. That uh, big flask over there, you, big mad Adrian, take the top off it and be ready to slam it down again when I say. Ready with that lid, mad Adrian? Right. There was a brief angry chord as Ridcully pulled the beer mat off the mug and upended it quickly into the flask. Mad Drongo Adrian slammed the lid down in total terror of the Arch-Chancellor. And then they could hear it, a persistent, faint beat rebounding off the inner walls of the glass flask. The students peered in at it. There was something in there, a sort of movement in the air. "'I trapped it in the drum last night.' "'That's not possible,' said Ponder. "'You can't trap music.' "'That isn't Clatchian mist, lad.' It's been in that mug since last night, said Ponda. Yes. But that's not possible. Ponda looked absolutely crestfallen. There are some people born with the instinctive feeling that the universe is solvable. Ridcully patted him on the shoulder. You never thought that being a wizard was going to be easy, did you? Ponda stared at the jar, and then his mouth snapped into a thin line of determination. Right. We're going to sort this out. It must be something to do with with the frequency, that's right. Tez the Terrible, get the crystal ball. Skaz, fetch the roll of steel wire. It must be the frequency. The band with Roxin slept the night away in a single male's hostel in an alley off Gleam Street, a fact that would have interested the four enforcers of the Musicians Guild sitting outside a piano-shaped hole in Phaedra Road. Susan strode through the rooms of death, seething gently with anger and just a touch of fear, which only made the anger worse. How could anyone even think like that? How could anyone be content to just be the personification of a blind force? Well, there were going to be changes. Her father had tried to change things, she knew, but only because he was, well, quite frankly, a bit soppy. He'd been made a duke by Queen Kaylee of Stolat. Susan knew what the title meant. Duke meant war leader, but her father never fought anyone. He seemed to spend all his time travelling from one wretched city-state to another, all over the Stowe Plains, just talking to people and trying to get them to talk to other people. He'd never killed anyone, as far as Susan knew, although he may have talked to a few politicians to death. That didn't seem to be much of a job for a war leader. Admittedly, they didn't seem to be all the little wars there used to be, but it was, well, not a proud kind of life. She walked through the Hall of Lifetimers. Even those on the highest shelves rattled gently as she passed. She'd save lives. The good could be spared and the bad could die young. It would all balance up, too. She'd show him. As for responsibility, well, humans always made changes. That was what being human was all about. Susan opened another door and stepped into the library. It was a room even bigger than the Hall of Lifetimers. Bookcases rose like cliffs. A haze obscured the ceiling. But of course it'd be childish, she told herself, to think that she could go in waving the scythe like a magic wand and turn the world into a better place overnight. It might take some time, so she should start in a small way and work out. She held out a hand. "'I'm not going to do the voice,' she said. "'That's just unnecessary drama and really a bit stupid. "'I just want the book of Imp Ikelin. thank you very much.' Around her the busyness of the library went on, millions of books quietly carried on writing themselves, causing a rustle like that of cockroaches. She remembered sitting on a knee or rather sitting on a cushion on a knee because the knee itself had been out of the question watching a bony finger follow the letters as they formed on the page she learned to read her own life I'm waiting said Susan meaningfully she clenched her fists Imp e kellin she said the book appeared in front of her she just managed to catch it before it fluttered to the floor thank you she said She flicked through the pages of his life until she came to the last one and stared. Then she hastily went back until she found written neatly down his death in the drum. It was all there, all untrue. He hadn't died. The book was lying. Or, and this she knew was a far more accurate way of looking at it, the book was true and reality was lying. What was more important was that from the moment of his death the book was writing music. Page after page had been covered with neat staves. While Susan watched... "'A cleft drew itself in a series of careful loops. "'What did it want? "'Why should it save his life? "'And it was vitally important that she save him instead. "'She could feel the certainty like a ball bearing in her mind. "'It was absolutely imperative. "'She'd never met him up close. "'She'd not exchanged a word with him. "'He was just one person. "'But it was him she had to save. "'Grandfather had said she shouldn't do that sort of thing. "'What did he know about anything? "'He never lived.' Blurt Huydown made guitars. It was quiet, satisfying work. It took him and Gibson, the apprentice, about five days to make a decent instrument, if the wood was available and properly seasoned. He was a conscientious man who devoted many years to the perfection of one type of musical instrument on which he himself was no mean performer. In his experience, guitarists came in three categories. There were the ones he thought of as real musicians who worked at the opera house, or for one of the small private orchestras. There were the folk singers, who couldn't play, but that was all right because most of them couldn't sing either. And then there were the troubadours and other swarthy types, who thought a guitar was like a red rose in the teeth, a box of chocolates, and a strategically placed pair of socks, another weapon in the battle of the sexes. They didn't play at all, apart from one or two chords, but they were regular customers. When leaping out of a bedroom window just ahead of an angry husband, the one thing a paramour is least concerned about leaving behind is his instrument. Blurt thought he'd seen them all. Mind you, first thing this morning, he'd sold some to some wizards. That was unusual. Some of them had even bought Blurt's guitar primer. The bell rang. Yes? Blurt looked at the customer and made a huge mental effort. Sir? "'It wasn't just the leather jerkin. "'It wasn't just the wristbands with studs. "'It wasn't just the broadsword. "'It wasn't just the helmet with the spikes. "'It was the leather and the studs and the sword and the helmet. "'This customer couldn't possibly be in categories one or two. Bert decided. "'The figure stood looking uncertain, hands gripping convulsively, "'clearly not at home in a dialogue situation. "'This a guitar shop,' it said. Blurt looked around at the merchandise hanging from the walls and ceiling. Er uh, yes, he said. I wants one. As for category three, he didn't look like someone used to bothering with chocolates or roses, or even hello. Er uh, Blurt grabbed one at random and held it out in front of him. One like this I wants one that goes a blam 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 but blam blam blame, blame, you know? Bert looked down at the guitar. "'I'm not sure it does that,' he said. Two enormous black-nailed hands took it out of his grasp. Uh, "'You're holding it wrong. Got a mirror?' Uh, "'No.' One hairy hand was raised high in the air and then plunged towards the strings. Blurt never wanted to repeat the next ten seconds. People shouldn't be allowed to do that sort of thing to a defenceless musical instrument. It was like raising a little pony, feeding it and grooming it properly, plaiting ribbons in its tail, giving it a nice field with bunnies and daisies in it, and then watching the first rider take it out with spurs and a whip. The thug played as if he were searching for something. He didn't find it, but as the last discords faded away, his features twisted into the determined expression of one who intends to go on looking. Eh, right, how much, he said. It was on sale for fifteen dollars, but Blurt's musical soul rebelled. He snapped. Twenty five dollars was what he snapped. Uh yeah, right. Will this be enough then? A small ruby was produced from somewhere in a pocket. I can't change that. Blurt's musical soul was still protesting, but his business head stepped in and flexed its elbows. But uh but but I'll throw in my guitar primer and a strap and a couple of pleckies, yes? he said. It's got pictures of where to put your fingers and everything, yes? Yeah, right. The barbarian walked out. Blurt stared at the ruby in his hand. The bell rang. He looked up. This one wasn't quite so bad. There were fewer studs, and the helmet only had two spikes. Blurt's hand shut around the jewel. Don't tell me. You want a guitar, he said. Yep. One of them that goes. Whang! Blurt looked around wildly. Well there's this one, he said, grabbing the nearest instrument. I don't know about wow, wow, well, wow, but here's my primer, as well, and a strap and some pleckies. That'll be thirty dollars, and I'll tell you what I'll do I'll throw in the space between the strings for free. Okay? Yep. ah uh, got a mirror? The bell rang and rang. An hour later, Blurt leaned on the doorframe of his workshop, a manic grin on his face, and his hands on his belt to stop the weight of money in his pockets pulling his trousers down. "'Gibson?' "'Yes, boss?' "'You know those guitars you made, um, when you were learning? The ones you said sounded like a cat going to the toilet through a old not mum, boss?' "'Did you throw them away?' "'No, boss. I thought I'll keep them. "'So's in five years' time, when I can make proper instruments, "'I'll be able to take them out and have a good laugh.' "'Blurt wiped his forehead. "'Several small gold coins fell out with his handkerchief. "'Where did you put them, out of interest?' "'Chucked them in a shed, boss, "'along with that uh, wainy timber you said "'was about as youthful as a mermaid in a chorus line.' "'Just fetch them out again, will you? <laughs> "'And their timber?' "'But you said—' And uh, bring me a saw, and then nip out and get me oh, a couple of gallons of black paint, and some sequins. Sequins, boss? You can get them up at Mrs. Cosmopolite's dress shop, and ask her if she's got any of those glittery onyx stones and some fancy material for straps. Oh, and see if she can lend us her biggest mirror. "'Blurt hitched up his trousers again. "'And then go down to the docks and hire a troll "'and tell him to stand in the corner "'and if anyone else comes in and tries to play. "'He paused and then remembered. "'Pathway to Paradise, I think they said it's called. "'He's to pull their head off.' "'Shouldn't we give them a warning?' said Gibson. "'That will be the warning.' "'It was an hour later. "'Ridcully had got bored and sent Tez the Terrible "'over to the kitchens to see about a snack.' Ponder and the other two had been busying themselves around the flask, messing around with crystal balls and wire, and now there was a wire stretched between two nails on the bench. It was a blur as it twanged an interesting beat. Big curved green lines hung in the air above it. uh, "'What's that?' said Ridcully. "'That's what the sound looks like,' said Ponder. "'Sound looks like,' said Ridcully. "'Well, there's a thing. I never saw a sound looking like that.' "'This is what you boys used magic for, is it? "'Looking at sound. "'Hey, we've got some nice cheese in the kitchen. "'How about we go and listen to how it smells?' "'Ponder sighed. "'It's what sound would be if your ears were eyes,' he said. "'Really?' said Ridcully brightly. Hm, mm. uh, amazing. "'It looks very complicated,' said Ponder. "'Simple when you look at it from a distance and up close.' Very complex. Almost. Alive, said Ridcully firmly. "Uh." It was the one known as Skaz. He looked about seven stone and had the most interesting haircut Ridcully had ever seen, since it consisted of a shoulder-length fringe of hair all round. It was only the tip of his nose poking out which told the world which way he was facing. If he ever developed a boil on the back of his neck, people would think he was walking the wrong way. Yes, Mr. Skaz," said Ridcully. Err, uh, er, uh, I, I, I read something about this once, said Skaz. Remarkable! Err, uh, how did you manage that? You know, the err, uh, uh, listening monks up in the Rab Tops, they say that there's a, a, a background noise to the universe, a sort of echo of some sound. Sounds sensible to me. The whole universe starting up, bound to make a big bang, said Ridcully. "'It wouldn't have to be very loud,' said Ponder. "'It'd just have to be everywhere, all at once. "'I read that book. Old Richter the Counter wrote it. "'The monks are still listening to it,' he said. "'A sound that never fades away.' "'Sounds like loud to me,' said ridcully "'Got to be loud to be heard any distance. "'If the wind's in the wrong direction, "'you can't even hear the bells on the Assassin's Guild. "'It wouldn't have to be loud to be heard everywhere.' said Ponder, the reason being, uh, at that point, everywhere was all in one place. Ridcully gave him the look people give conjurers who've just removed an egg from their ear. Everywhere was all in one place? Yes. So, uh, uh, where was everywhere else? That was all in one place too. The same place? Yes. Crunched up very small? Ridcully was beginning to show certain signs. "'If he had been a volcano, natives living nearby would be looking for a handy virgin.' (laughs) "'In fact, you could say it was crunched up very big,' said Ponder, who always walked into it. "'The reason being, space didn't exist until there was a universe, so anything there was everywhere.' "'And uh, the, the, the same everywhere we had just now?' "'Yes.' Mm, all right, uh, so to go on. Richter said he thought that the sound came first. One great, big, complicated chord. The biggest, most complicated sound there ever was. A sound so complex that you couldn't play it within a universe any more than you can open a box with the crowbar that's inside it. One great chord, which, as it were, played everything into being. Started the music, if you like. Yeah, a sort of ta said Red Cully. I suppose so. I thought the universe came into being because some god cut off some other god's wedding tackle and made the universe out of it, said Red Cully. Always seemed straightforward to me. I mean, it's the kind of thing you can imagine happening. Well, now you're telling me someone blew a big hooter, and, and, and here we are? I don't know about someone, said Ponder. "'Noises don't just make themselves, that I do know,' said Ridcully. "'He relaxed a bit, certain in his own mind that reason had prevailed, "'and patted Ponder on the back. "'It needs some work, lad,' he said. "'Old Richter was a bit uh, unsound, you know. "'He thought everything came down to numbers. "'Mind you,' said Ponder, "'the universe does have a rhythm. "'Day and night, light and dark, life and death. Mm, "'Chicken soup and croutons.' said Ridcully. Well, not every metaphor bears close examination. There was a knock on the door. Tez the Terrible entered, carrying a tray. He was followed by Mrs. Whitlow, the housekeeper. Ridcully's jaw dropped. Mrs. Whitlow curtsied. Good morning, your Grace, she said. Her ponytail bobbed. There was a rustle of starched petticoats. Ridcully's jaw rose again, but only so that he could say, What have you done to your... Excuse me, Mrs. Whitlow, said Ponder quickly, but have you served breakfast to any of the faculty this morning? That's right, Mr. Stibbons," said Mrs. Whitlow. Her ample and mysterious bosom shifted under its sweater. None of the gentlemen came down, so I got trays taken up to them all. Daddy-o. Ridcully's gaze continued downwards. He'd never thought of Mrs. Whitlow as having legs before. Of course, in theory, the woman needed something to move around on, but, um, well. But there were two pudgy knees protruding from the huge mushroom of skirts. Further down, there were white socks. Your uh, hair, he began hoarsely. Is there something wrong? said Mrs. Whitlow. Nothing, nothing, said Ponder. Thank you very much. The door closed behind her. "'She was snapping her fingers as she went out, just like you said,' said Ponder. "'Wasn't the only thing that snapped,' said Ridcully, still shuddering. "'Did you look at her shoes?' "'I think my eyes shut themselves protectively about there.' "'If it's really alive,' said Ponder, "'then it's very contagious.' "'This scene took place in Crash's father's coach house, "'but it was an echo of a scene evolving all around the city.' Crash hadn't been christened Crash. He was the son of a rich dealer in hay and feedstuffs, but he despised his father for being dead from the neck up, totally concerned with material things unimaginative, and also for paying him a ridiculous three dollars a week allowance. Crash's father had left his horses in the coach house. At the moment they were both trying to squeeze into one corner, having tried fruitlessly to kick a hole in the walls. "'I reckon I nearly had it that time.' "'said Crash, as hay dust poured down from the roof "'and Woodworm hurried off to find a better home. "'It ain't just... "'I mean, it ain't like the sound we heard at the drum,' "'said Jimbo, critically. "'It's a bit like it, but it isn't... "'It, it, it ain't it.' "'Jimbo was Crash's best friend "'and wished he was one of the people. "'It's good enough to start with,' said Crash. "'So you and Noddy, you two get guitars, "'and Scum, you... "'you could play the drums.' Dunno how, said Scum. It was actually his name. No one knows how to play the drums, said Crash patiently. There's nothing to know. You just hit them with the sticks. Yeah, but what if I sort of miss? Sit closer. Right, said Crash, sitting back. Now, the important thing is, the really important thing is, what are we going to call ourselves? Cliff looked around. "'Well, I reckon we looked at every house, "'and I'm damned if I see the name Dibbler anywhere,' he growled. Buddy nodded. Most of Sator Square was the frontage of the university, "'but there was room for a few other buildings. "'They were the sort that have a dozen brass plates by the door, "'the sort that hinted that even wiping your feet on the doormat "'was going to cost you dear. "'Hello, boys!' "'They turned. "'Dibbler beamed at them over a tray of possible sausages and buns. "'There were a couple of sacks beside him. ''Sorry we're late,'' said Glod, ''but we couldn't find your office anywhere.'' Dibbler spread his arms wide. ''This is my office,'' he said, equally expansively. ''Sator Square. Thousands of square feet of space. Excellent communications. Passing trade. Try these on,'' he added, picking up one of the sacks and opening it. ''I had to guess at sizes.'' They were black and made of cheap cotton. One of them was extra, 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 extra large, "'A vest with words on,' said Buddy. "'The band with rocks in?' Cliff read slowly. "'Yeah, that's us, isn't it?' "'What do we want these for?' said Glod. "'We know who we are.' "'Advertising,' said Dibbler. "'Trust me.' He put a brown cylinder in his mouth and lit the end. "'Wear them tonight. Have I got a gig for you?' "'Have you? That's what I said.' "'No, you asked us.' said Glod. How should we know? Has it got that livery on the side? said Cliff. Dibbler started again. It's a big place. You'll get a great audience. And you'll get, he looked at their trusting open faces, ten dollars over guild rate. How about that? Glod's face split into a big grin. What, each? he said. Dibbler gave them another appraising look. Oh, um, no, he said. Fair dues, ten dollars between you. I mean, be serious. You need exposure. There's that word again, said Cliff. The Musician's Guild will be right on her necks. Not this place, said Dibbler. Guaranteed. Where is it then, said Clodd. Are you ready for this? They blinked at him. Dibbler beamed and blew a cloud of greasy smoke. The cavern. The beat went on. Of course, there are bound to be a few... mutations... Gortlick and Hammerjug were songwriters, and fully paid-up members of the guild. They wrote dwarf songs for all occasions. Some people say this is not hard to do so long as you can remember how to spell GOLD. But this is a little bit cynical. Many dwarf songs, or write all dwarf songs except the one about high ho are on the lines of GOLD GOLD GOLD. But it's all in the inflection. Dwarfs have thousands of words for GOLD, but will use any of them in an emergency. "'such as when they see some gold that doesn't belong to them. "'They had a small office in Tin Lid Alley, "'where they sat either side of an anvil "'and wrote popular songs to mine along to. "'Gort? "'What? "'What do you think of this one?' "'Hammerjug cleared his throat.' "'I'm mean and tough, and a mean and tough, and a mean and tough, and a mean and tough, and me and my friends can walk towards you with the hats on backwards in a menacing way, yo!' Gortlick chewed the end of his composing hammer thoughtfully. "'Good rhythm,' he said. "'But the words need some work.' "'You mean more gold, gold, gold?' "'Yes.' "'What are you thinking of calling it?' "'Er—' Rat music Why rat music? Hamaj looked puzzled. Couldn't really say, he said. 'Twas just an idea I had in my brain. Gortlick shook his head. Dwarfs were a barrowing race. He knew what they liked. Good music's got to have hole in it, he said. You ain't got nothing if you ain't got hole. Now, now, calm down, calm down, said Dibbler. It's the biggest venue in Ark pork that's why. I don't see what the problem is. The cavern, screamed Glod. Chryso praise the troll runs it, that's the problem. They say he's a godfather in the Brekia, said Cliff. Now, 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 that's never been proved. Only because it's very hard to prove things when someone's scooped a hole in your head and buried your feet in it. "'There's no need for this prejudice, just because he's a troll,' said Dibbler. "'I'm a troll, so I can be prejudiced against trolls all right. "'He's one mean motherlode. "'They say when they found the Big Breast gang, none of them had any teeth.' "'What is the cavern?' said Buddy. "'Troll place,' said Cliff. "'They say it'll be great. "'Why worry?' said Dibbler. "'It's a gambling joint, too.' Troll gambling is even simpler than Australian gambling. One of the most popular games is One-Up, which consists of throwing a coin in the air and betting on whether it will come down again. ''But the Guild won't go in there,'' said Dibbler, ''not if they know what's good for them.'' ''And I know what's good for me too,'' shouted Claude. ''I'm good at knowing that. It's good for me not to go into a troll dive.'' ''They threw axes at you in the drum?'' said Dibbler reasonably. Yes, but only in fun. It's not as if they were aiming. Anyway, said Cliff, only trolls and damn silly young humans go there who think it clever to drink in troll bar. You won't get an audience. Dibbler tapped the side of his nose. You play, he said. You'll get an audience. That's my job. The doors aren't big enough for me to go in, snapped Glod. They're huge doors, said Dibbler. They ain't big enough for me, because if you try to get me in there, you'll have to drag the street in two on account of me holding on to it. No, be sensible. No, screamed Glod, and I'm screaming for all three of us. The guitar whined. Buddy swung it around until he could hold it and played a couple of chords. That seemed to calm it down. I think it uh, likes the idea, he said. "It." ''Likes the idea,'' said Glod, simmering down a little bit. ''Oh, good. Well, do you know what they do to dwarfs who go into the cavern?'' ''We do need the money, and it's probably not worse than what the guild do for us if we play anywhere else,'' said Buddy. ''And we've got to play.'' They stood looking at one another. ''What you boys should do now,'' said Dibbler, blowing out a smoke ring, ''is fine somewhere. Nice and quiet to spend the day. Have a bit of a rest.'' "'Damn right,' said Cliff. "'I never expected to carry these rocks around the whole team.' "'Dibbler raised a finger. "'Ah,' he said. "'I thought of that too. "'You don't want to waste your talents lugging stuff around, "'that's what I told myself. "'I hired you a helper. "'Very cheap, only a dollar a day. "'I'll take it straight out your wages "'so you don't have to bother about it. "'Meet Ashfelt.' "'Who?' said Buddy. "'It's me.' "'said one of the sacks beside Dibbler. "'The sack opened up a bit "'and turned out to be not a sack at all, "'but a sort of crumpled, kind of mobile heap of... "'Buddy felt his eyes watering. "'It looked like a troll, "'except that it was shorter than a dwarf. "'It wasn't smaller than a dwarf. "'What Ashfelt lacked in height, he made up in breadth, "'and while on the subject, also in smell. How come? said Cliff, "'he's so short.' elephant's settle me,' said Ashfelt sulkily. Glod blew his nose. Only sat? Ashfelt was already wearing a Band With roxin t-shirt. It was tight across the chest, but reached down to the floor. Ashfelt will look after you, said Dibbler. There isn't anything he doesn't know about show business. Ashfelt gave them a big grin. You'll be okay with me, he said. I've worked with them all, I have. Been everywhere, done it all. "'We could go to the fronts,' said Cliff. "'No one around there when the university's on holiday.' "'Good. Got things to organise, said Dibbler. "'See you tonight, the cavern, seven o'clock,' he strode off. "'You know the funny thing about him,' said Glod. "'What? The way he was smoking that sausage. "'Do you think he knew?' Ashfelt grabbed Cliff's bag and slung it easily over his shoulder. "'Let's go, boss,' he said. An elephant sat on you, said Buddy as they crossed the square. Yep. At the circus, said Ashveld. I used to muck em out. That's how you got like that? No. Didn't get like this till elephants had sat on me three or four times, said the small flat troll. Dunno why. I'd be cleaning up after em next minute. It'd all be dark. I'd have quit after the first time, me, said Glod. Nah, said Ashveld with a contented smile. Couldn't do that. Show business is in me soul. Ponder looked down at the thing they had hammered together. I don't understand it either, he said, but it looks as though we can trap it in a string and it makes the string play the music again. It's like an iconograph for sound. They'd put the wire inside the box, which resonated beautifully. It played the same dozen bars over and over again. A, a, "'A box of music,' said Red "'My word!' "'What I'd like to try,' said Ponder, "'is getting the musicians to play in front of a lot of strings like this. "'Perhaps we could trap the music.' "'What for?' said Red "'What on disc for?' "'Well, if you could get music in boxes, "'you wouldn't need musicians any more.' "'Red hesitated. "'There was a lot to be said for the idea.' A world without musicians had a certain appeal. They were a scruffy bunch, in his experience, quite unhygienic. He shook his head reluctantly. "'Not this sort of music,' he said. "'We want to stop it, not make more of it.' "'What exactly is wrong with it?' said Ponder. "'It's... it's... well, can't you see?' said Ridcully. "'It makes people act funny, wear funny clothes, be rude, "'not do what they're told. "'I can't do a thing with them. It's not right. "'Besides... Remember, Mister Hong. It's certainly very unusual," said Ponda. "Can we get some more for study purposes, Arch Chancellor?" Riddcully shrugged. "We follow the Dean," he said. "Good grief!" breathed Buddy in the huge, echoing emptiness. No wonder they call it the Cavern. It's huge. I feel dwarfed," said Glod. Ashfelt ambled to the front of the stage. A "'One toe, one toe,' he said. A "'One, one, one toe, one toe. Three said Buddy helpfully. Ashvelt stopped and looked embarrassed. "'Just trying the, uh, you know, just trying out the, yeah, uh, yeah,' uh, he muttered. "'Just, uh, yeah, trying it.' "'We'll never feel this,' said Buddy. "'Glod poked in a box by the side of the stage. "'He said, "'They might. "'Look at these.' He unrolled a poster. The others clustered around. "'That's a picture of us,' said Cliff. "'Someone's painted a picture of us.' "'Looking mean,' said Glod. "'It's a good one of Buddy,' said Ashfelt, "'waving his guitar like that.' "'Why is there all that lightning and stuff?' said Buddy. "'I'll never look that mean even when I'm mean,' said Glod. "'The new sound that's goin around,' Cliff read, his forehead wrinkling with the effort. The bandy with Rockies, said Glod. Oh, no, it says we're going to be here and everything, moaned Glod. We're dead. Be there or be a rectangular thing, said Cliff. I don't understand that. There's dozens of these rolls in here, said Glod. They are posters. You know what that means. He's been having them stuck up in places, talking of which, when the Musicians Guild get hold of us, "'Music's free,' said Buddy. "'It has to be free.' "'What?' said Glod. "'Not in this dwarf's town.' "'Then it should be,' said Buddy. "'People shouldn't have to pay to play music.' "'Right. "'That boy is right. "'That's just just what I've always said. "'Isn't that what I've always said? "'That's what I've said right enough.' "'Dibbler emerged from the shadows in the wings. "'There was a troll with him, "'who Buddy surmised must have been Chrysopraise. He wasn't particularly big or even craggy. In fact, he had a smooth and glossy look to him, like a pebble found on a beach. There wasn't a trace of lichen anywhere. And he was wearing clothes. Clothes other than uniforms or special work clothes weren't normally a troll thing. Mostly, they were a loincloth to keep stuff in, and that was that. But Chrysoprase had a suit on. It looked badly tailored. It was, in fact, very well tailored, but even a troll with no clothes on looks fundamentally badly tailored. Chrysopraise had been a very quick learner when he arrived in Ankh-Morpork. He began with an important lesson. Hitting people was thuggery. Paying other people to do the hitting on your behalf was good business. "'I like you lads to meet Chrysopraise, said Dibbler. "'An old friend of mine. Me and him go way back. That right, Chrys?' "'Indeed.' Chrysopraise gave Dibbler the warm, friendly smile a shark bestows on a haddock, with whom it suits it for now to swim in the same direction." A certain play of silicon muscles in the corners also suggested that one day certain people would regret cries. Mr Throat tells me youse boys is the best thing since slicing bread, he said. You's got everything you need. They nodded mutely. People tended not to speak to Chrysopraise in case they said something that offended him. They wouldn't know it at the time, of course, they'd know it later, when they were in some dark alley, and a voice behind them said, Mr Chrysopraise is really upset. "'You's go and rest up in your dressing room,' he went on. Use wants any food or drink, you's only got to say.' He'd got diamond rings on his fingers. Cliff couldn't stop staring at them. The dressing room was next to the privies and half full of beer barrels. Glod leaned on the door. "'I don't need the money,' he said. "'Just let me get out of here with my life, that's all I ask.' "'You won't have to worry,' Cliff began. "'You're trying to speak with your mouth shut, Cliff.' "'said Buddy. "'I said, you don't have to worry. "'You got the wrong sort of teeth,' said the troll. "'There was a knock on the door. "'Cliff slammed his hand back over his mouth, "'but the knock turned out to belong to Ashveld, "'who was carrying a tray. "'There were three types of beer. "'There were even smoked rat sandwiches "'with the crusts and tails cut off. "'And there was a bowl of finest anthracite coke "'with ash on it. "'Crunch it up, good,' moaned Glod, "'as Cliff took his bowl. "'It may be the last chance you get.' Maybe no one will turn up and we can go home, said Cliff. Buddy ran his fingers over the strings. The others stopped eating as the chords filled up the room. Magic, said Cliff, shaking his head. Don't you boys worry, said Ashfelt. If there are any problems, it's the other guys who get it in the teeth. Buddy stopped playing. What other guys? Funny thing, said the little troll. Suddenly everyone's playing music with rocks in it. Mr. Dibbler's signed up another band for the concert, too, to kind of... warm it up.' "'Who?' "'It's called Insanity,' said asphalt. "'Where are they?' said Cliff. "'Well, put it like this. You know how your dressing room is next to the privy.' Crash, behind the cavern's raggedy curtain, tried to tune his guitar. Several things got in the way of this simple procedure. Firstly, Blurt had realised what his customers really wanted, and praying forgiveness from his ancestors had spent more time gluing on bits of glittery stuff than he had on the actual functioning sections of the instrument. To put it another way, he'd knocked in a dozen nails and tied the strings to them. But this wasn't too much of a problem, because Crash himself had the musical talent of a block nostril. He looked at Jimbo, Noddy and Scum. Jimbo, now the bass player, Blurt, giggling hysterically, had used a bigger lump of wood and some fence wire, was holding up his hand hesitantly. What is it, Jimbo? One of my guitar strings has broke. Well, you got five more, ain't you? Yeah, but I do not know how to play them, like. You didn't know how to play six, right? So now you're a bit less ignorant. Scum peered around the curtain. Crash? Yes? There's hundreds of people out there. Uh, Hundreds. A lot of them have got guitars, too, and they're sort of waving them in the air. Insanity listened to the roar from the other side of the curtain. Crash did not have too many brain cells, and they often had to wave to attract one another's attention, but he had a tiny flicker of doubt that the sound that Insanity had achieved, while a good sound, was the sound that he'd heard last night in the drum. The sound made him want to scream and dance, while the other sound made him... Well, made him want to scream and smash Scum's drum kit over its owner's head, quite frankly. Noddy took a peek between the curtains. Aye, there's a bunch of uh, wiz... I think they're wizards, right, in the front row, he said. I'm pretty sure they're wizards, but uh, I mean... You can tell, stupid, said Crash. They've got pointy hats. Well, there's one with pointy hair, said Noddy. The rest of insanity applied eyes to the gap. "'Looks like a kind of unicorn spike made out of hair.' "'What's he got on the back of his robe?' said Jimbo. "'It says, Born to Rune,' said Crash, who was the fastest reader in the group and didn't need to use his finger at all. "'The skinny ones, wearing a flared robe,' said Noddy. "'He must be old. And they've all got guitars. "'Do you reckon they've come to see us?' ''Bound to have,'' said Noddy. ''That's a boldacious audience, said Jimbo. ''Yeah, that, that's right. Um, Boldacious,'' said Scum. ''Um, what what's boldacious mean?'' ''Means... means it bodes,'' said Jimbo. ''Right. It looks like it's boding, all right.'' Crash thrust aside his doubts. ''Let's go out there,'' he said, ''and really show them what music with rooks in is about.'' Ashfelt, Cliff and Glod sat in one corner of the dressing room. The roar of the crowd could be heard from here. "'Why's he not saying anything?' asphalt whispered. "'Dunno,' said Glod. Buddy was staring at nothing with the guitar cradled in his arms. Occasionally he'd slap the casing very gently in time with whatever thoughts were sluicing through his head. "'He goes like that sometimes,' said Cliff. "'Just sits and looks at the air.' "'Hey, they're shouting something out there,' said Glod. Listen. The roar had a rhythm to it. ''Sounds like rocks, rocks, rocks,'' said Cliff. The door burst open and Dibbler half ran, half fell in. ''You've got to get out there,'' he shouted. ''Right now!'' ''I thought the insanitary Boys, uh,'' Glod began. ''Don't even ask,'' said Dibbler. ''Come on, otherwise they'll wreck the place.'' Asphalt picked up the rocks. ''Okay,'' he said. ''No,'' said Buddy. ''What's this?'' said Dibbler. Nerves? No. Music should be free, free as the air and the sky. Glod's head spun around. Buddy's voice had a faint suggestion of harmonics. Sure, right. Uh, that's what I said, said Dibbler. The guild? Buddy unfolded his legs and stood up. I expect people had to pay to get in here, didn't they? he said. Glod looked at the others. No one else seemed to have noticed it but there was a twang on the edge of Buddy's words, a sibilance of strings. Oh, uh, that, of course, said Dibbler. Got to cover expenses. There's your wages, um, wear and tear on the floor, uh, heating and lighting, um, depreciation. The roar was louder now. It had a certain foot-stamping component. Dibbler swallowed. He suddenly had the look of a man prepared to make the supreme sacrifice. I could... Uh, "'Maybe go up, maybe a dollar,' he said, "'each word fighting its way out of the strong room of his soul. "'If we go on stage now, I want us to do another performance,' said Buddy. "'Glod glared suspiciously at the guitar. "'What? No problem. I can soon,' Dibbler began. "'Free.' "'Free?' The word got past Dibbler's teeth before they could snap shut. He rallied magnificently. You don't want paying? Uh, Certainly, if uh, Buddy didn't move. I mean, we don't get paid and people don't have to pay to listen. As many people as possible. Free? Yes. Where's the profit in that? An empty beer bottle vibrated off the table and smashed on the floor. A troll appeared in the doorway, or at least part of it did. It wouldn't be able to get into the room without ripping the doorframe out, but it looked as though it would think twice about doing so. ''Mr. Craisopraise says what's happening?'' it growled. ''Ehm,'' um, Dibbler began, ''Mr. don't like being kept waiting.'' ''I know, he... T- <laughs> he gets sad if he's kept waiting.'' ''All right,'' shouted Dibbler, at free, and that's cutting me own throat. You know that, don't you? Buddy played a chord. It seemed to leave little lights in the air. Let's go, he said softly. I know this city, Dibbler mumbled, as the band with rocks in hurried towards the vibrating stage. Tell people something's free and you'll get thousands of them turning up. Needing to eat, said a voice in his head. It had a twang. Needing to drink, Needing to buy band-with-roxin shirts, Dibbler's face very slowly rearranged itself into a grin. A free festival, he said. Right, (laughs) it's our public duty. Music should be free. And sausages in a bun should be a dollar each, mustard extra. Maybe a dollar fifty. And that's cutting me own throat. End of CD 5